Sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? Ready? Are you ready for the place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league? I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 10th day of January. Good to be back in the studio this week, unlike last week we had to uh, record this thing from uh, home due to the fact that, well, we got, uh, you know, a slight weather scare, um, and I say slight because the reports as far as the weather, at least where I live, didn't turn out to be true. Now, that was... Uh, Different case on Friday when I was driving from Freehold, New Jersey up to Carteret, New Jersey for work through about an inch and a half of snow. And thank God that there was no true jackasses on the road. But uh, that is a story for another day. You know, what really brightened up my spirits with that is the fact that we had our first week 18 of the NFL regular season history this past weekend. And, you know, I had long said this, that I, you know, was concerned about going to 17 games over an 18-week span because I always felt 16 was a perfect number, and, you know, what if you had too many games where nothing mattered? You know, you had your cases of like Vikings, Bears, or, you know, Giants, Washington. Hell, even for, to a certain extent, Packers, Lions, as exciting as that game turned out to be, just because the Packers knew they were the one seed, had nothing really to play for. It was just about getting Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams the proper amount of work so they weren't sitting there getting cold for three weeks. But besides that, you look around the sport over this weekend, things really thrived. You had a lot on the line, mostly on the AFC side of things. The NFC, I'll save for a little bit. But on the AFC side of things, it was like everywhere, every time you turned around, there was something, you know, deciding either playoff seating or deciding someone's uh, playoff livelihood. None more than, you know, the three games to decide uh, two spots in the AFC wildcard standings. Because you went into yesterday with five teams locking up AFC postseason bids. 
and you had two wild card spots open between the Colts, Steelers, Ravens, Chargers, and uh, Raiders. And it was simple. It, It was so simple. It seemed so simple on paper for the Indianapolis Colts, excuse me. All you had to do was win. That's it. The last two weeks, all you had to do was win one game. You had a couple of great victories against the Patriots and the Cardinals leading into these final two weeks. And what do you do? You lose at home to a Raiders team that seems to be like a cat and have nine lives. And then yesterday, when you are a 15-point favorite, you go down to Jacksonville, who has nothing to play for. Hell, went into yesterday, their fan base was wearing clown costumes to to the game to dis- show their dismay toward ownership and how things have been run down there this year. Everyone involved with Jacksonville realizing that, you know what, it's probably better if we lose this game. And instead, in the most unlikely of fashions, not only the Colts lose, they get their ass handed to them by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you would have thought that the Jaguars were the team with something to play for. I mean, the outside of Marvin Jones playing for, I think, a half a million dollar bonus, there was no incentive for the Jaguars to win that game yesterday. The, the only incentive they have is making sure Trevor Lawrence gets through the season healthy and is of is of a positive mindset heading into his second season. And now you maybe gave him something to build off of some confidence, especially with the way the Colts played yesterday. And now that there's a lot of blame to go around. Number one is definitely Carson Wentz with these turnovers he had in yesterday's game. You know, the fumble, in uh, the uh, early stages of the third quarter that set the Jaguars up for an easy field goal. But then what was even worse is when he throws an interception to uh, Damian Wilson because you remember two plays prior to that, it looked like he had thrown an interception, but the ball uh, hit the ground first as the defender was diving to the ground. This time... He throws it right to Wilson along uh, the sidelines and set up what would be the touchdown that the Jaguars would never look back on. And there was, you know, there was very few moments where you said you said to yourself, "All right, this is where the Colts are going to get going." There, there was very few times where they gave you any optimism, thinking that maybe there could be a comeback and. The, I know it was a 20-point game at the time, but the the thing that sealed their fate, sealed any chance of coming back, they have first and goal late in the third quarter, heading into the fourth quarter, and are unable to convert a touchdown, including Jonathan Taylor getting stuffed at the goal line on a fourth and one. And a lot of, you know, 
the Colts, it felt like they tried to get away from what worked with them. They, it felt like they tried yesterday to justify the Carson Wentz contract or justify the Carson Wentz trade in giving up a first-round draft pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. Because, you know, this year, when, the, when Jonathan Taylor dominates, the Colts win. They're, they were 9-1 and one in games that he rushed for over 100 yards or more. They went 0-7 in games that he was under 100 yards. And you only give him 15 carries. And it, it's not like you were down by five touchdowns. You were down by 10 points heading into the second half. And as embarrassing as that is, that's no reason to divert away from the ground game and just start having Carson chuck the ball all over the field. And now you're sitting here with probably the most embarrassing end of regular season loss we have seen in a long time by any team trying to clinch a playoff spot. I mean, I think back with my own uh, experience back to when the Jets were playing uh, in the final week of the 2000. Uh, 15 2016 season and they had to go to Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter. I mean, this is even worse. The at least with uh, the bills there, you could use the Rex Ryan motivation. I mean, what was the Jaguars motivation? Yes. Sir. Other than Marvin Jones's bonus was really nothing. Now you're the Colts. You're like, Seven straight, not only we missed the postseason, but seven straight times we've lost to the Jaguars in Jacksonville, including the London game. Embarrassing. But that loss, that loss allowed for the potential of chaos. And chaos is what we got. Because the Steelers needed the the Jaguars to pull off that upset and get a win of their own in order to continue Big Ben's career beyond week 18 and listen for a while there it was very dicey you know the the Steelers were trailing in this game heading into the fourth quarter but you know Tyler Huntley continued to prove that while he's quality he's not exactly um Lamar Jackson I mean that interception he threw into the end zone um early in the fourth quarter when he was trying to hit Mark Andrews I think Lamar Jackson either would have tried to take off and run on the play or you know got the ball out quicker or you know maybe not decide to throw into triple coverage uh, even with it being his uh number one uh target there. But you know the Steelers the Steelers defense give them a lot of credit. First off, congratulations to TJ Watt breaking Michael Strahan's um single season sack record some or tying it excuse me and I don't want to hear Strahan complain about oh saying that he had 17 weeks to do it while I did it in 16 Michael let's not forget you got that record because Brett Favre laid down and took one for you okay so calm down but you know their defense kept giving Ben chance after chance and finally 
uh, he was able to capitalize on a day where they didn't did not get much from uh, Najee Harris. Now they they just uh, you know every time you were ready to count them out on third and longs or fourth and longs, they were able to convert, including in uh, the overtime to set up Boswell for the game winning field goal that would put them in an interesting spot, a spot that was talked about all week long, where not only the Steelers needed to win, but they needed some help in um, the process, not just with the Colts' loss, but they needed an outcome, a true decisive outcome in the Sunday night football matchup between the Raiders and the Chargers. It could not finish in a tie, and you know, every time there was a, a lead change in this game, you're saying to yourself, this game is going to end up as a tie. You know, whether it was the 10 nothing early lead um, by Oakland and the Chargers rushed back to, um, to take a four-point lead heading toward the end of the half, or Oakland taking... Uh, coming down to score a touchdown to, to take a three-point lead heading into halftime. Every time the, the game was within four or three points either way, you're like, oh, this is going to overtime. You had Steeler fans sitting on their hands, getting nervous as all hell. And, you know, if, if you're a Charger fan today, of course the biggest goat of all of this is not your quarterback, it's not any of your your uh, skill position players. Hell, I, I wouldn't even consider it your defense because your defense did have its moments late in the game that allowed you to come back from 15 points with eight minutes to go in the fourth. It's your head coach, Brandon Staley, who, let's face it, he was thrown bouquets, thrown roses all year long for his aggressive mindset. But at the end of the day, he was too aggressive. He thought too much by the numbers and, and rather than thinking with situations. Because, you know, the, char- the Chargers, uh, you know, worked their way back into this after Brandon Staley's stupidity early in the third quarter. I, I still, for the life of me, can't understand going for a fourth and one from your own 17-yard line. Because, you know, the the Raiders knew that you're going to run the football there on the fourth and one. So they've got all their big boys stacked up there on the line of scrimmage. That's why, you know, no one should be surprised that uh, Pylon uh, stuffed um, Eckler in the backfield. I mean, the fact that you would not even try to do something, if you're going to do something that stupid, you, you want to try to do something creative like, I don't know, a rollout with your quarterback and have him run. It's not like you have some slow old man. You've got one of the best young talents in the sport. And you know, that, that set them back. You know The Raiders would capitalize with a field goal there. But then you, your team works its way all the way back into this game, forces overtime with you know, two back-to-back drives. First, the um, 86-yard touchdown drive uh, capped off with a uh, throw to the back of the end zone to Palmer. And then on the final play of regulation, when uh, um, 
Herbert is converting fourth downs left and right. He hits Mike Williams in the middle of the end zone uh, to uh, force overtime. Now, these teams are trading field goals in the overtime session. It seemed like the Raiders at one point were willing to settle for the tie. Their players are even telling the Charger players on the field after the game, hey, we were going to take a knee and and just settle for a tie, knowing that um, we had a postseason spot locked up with, with that. And instead, Brandon Staley calls a timeout on fourth and and one because he wanted to make sure his best run-stopping team was on the field. When if you paid attention to how that drive was going, the Raiders, albeit outside of one throw toward the sidelines, were not trying to get big chunks down the field. They were just trying to be as safe with the football as possible. And hell, after the two-minute warning of overtime, they did nothing but run the football up the middle. They were not trying to score on on that drive. But once you call the timeout with 30, 38 seconds to go, Rich Pisacci, Derek Carr, they're like, all right, you, know, we're, you don't want to settle for overtime. We were going to let you walk into the postseason with us. But to hell with it. We're going to win this game and send your ass home. And now you're, you're left with... You know, two morons on the day. One being the Colts and not being able to handle the the what was two and fourteen Jacksonville Jaguars, and the other being Brandon Staley, who can now spend the next eight months going over his analytics and wondering, hmm, where did I go wrong? All right, a lot more playoff stuff uh, to get to next, including some of uh, the playoff matchups. I'll give you some thoughts on uh, some off-the-field things, including the Antonio Brown saga continuing and a potential holdout of the Super Bowl, plus some thoughts on Kyrie Irving and Klay Thompson uh, a little bit later on. So a lot to get to this week. Uh, Glad you could uh you know, listen to the podcast or watch it, whatever you may be uh, doing. And, you know, just sit back, relax, put your feet up if you feel like it. I continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder, Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. 
outside of the um, wild card spots in the AFC. There were other things up for grabs in Week 18. There were other things to sink your teeth on, other things to be intrigued about when it came to uh, the final week of the regular season, including the number one seed in the AFC. And I thought it was very important for the Tennessee Titans to get the number one seed. And they showed you how important it was based on the fact that Derrick Henry was not active for this week's game. Clearly, he's not ready. Clearly, he's um, still working his way back from uh, the the surgery about two months ago. And they wanted to give him more time. Otherwise, they would have activated him and at least given him some reps and not been concerned about possibly having to play wildcard weekend. But by winning yesterday against uh, the Texans, it provided them, A, more time for Henry to recuperate, B, uh, more time for Julio Jones to be at full speed, who, let's face it, he has been a non-factor for the most part uh, due to his hamstring issues uh, this year. And if they are in a position where they have to play the Kansas City Chiefs at some point this postseason, it will come in their building rather than having to travel to Arrowhead. And, you know, the Chiefs put the pressure on them on uh, Saturday night by uh, uh, coming back and beating uh, the Broncos. Broncos who were very much game um and so, you know, that, that's something I, I do like to see when, you know, I have these like below average to crappy teams that are out of it, have nothing to play for, but battle their ass off to the end to, you know, make someone's postseason uh, chances a living hell. You know, the, the Broncos in the end would turn out to be their worst own worst enemy because the, you know they had control of this game looked like they were going to go in and uh, have a commanding lead for the final couple minutes but Melvin Gordon who had a great final game of the season it will be more thought about uh, the fumble that he had that allowed the Chiefs to take the lead late and never look back and you know the chiefs were really the only chance to upseed the titans when it came to uh the one seed you know the, the bengal's you saw that their mindset was you know they needed not just a chiefs loss but also a titans loss a, along with a win and once uh hell even before the chiefs uh played on saturday they let it be known we're not playing Joe Burrow. We're going to limit uh, Jamar Chase's uh, um, snaps. So they, they just wanted to prepare for their first uh, game in the playoffs. They knew that the chances of them being the one seed were uh, kind of slim pickings uh, heading into Week 18. 
But things you know, were still up for grabs when it came to the AFC East. You know, the, the Patriots you know, had to face their old demon, and that is going down to Miami to play the Dolphins. That, especially late in the season, has kind of been a house of horrors for them over the last several years where there's just these unexplainable losses by the Patriots, uh, including the, remember that uh, crazy, uh, you know, the Hail Mary or crazy um, screen pass uh, in the middle of the field in the final year of Adam Gase um, being the Dolphins head coach that, uh, the, the Patriots w- would end up, uh, you know, hurting them when it came to uh, postseason seeding. But once again, another team that had nothing to play for in the Dolphins, other than pride, made things very difficult for uh, Mac Jones. And you now it's it's funny. Everyone was throwing bouquets Mac Jones' way when the Patriots were on their seven-game winning streak. But now, recently, all of those people that were throwing bouquets Mac Jones' way have gone quiet. I mean, y'all realize that when they got to 9-4, and four, through those first 13 games, he had over only 11 turnovers. In the last four, in which they are 1-3, he's turned the ball over seven times, including five interceptions, but... Weirdly, no one wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to just hand him the Offensive um, Rookie of the Year award. I wonder why. Maybe is it that you know Bristol is doing a little bit too much New England Patriots ass-kissing? Hmm. Kind of surprising. But even, even with their uh, loss, their... Uh, Chances at winning the uh, division were not very good. The Bills got the fortune of having a bye in Week 18 by playing the New York Jets and would totally outclass them. I mean, don't don't be fooled by the fact that this was a 13-10 game heading into the fourth quarter. It never felt like a 13-10 game. The Jets' defense... I give them credit, held up in the red zone a few times. But Allen and company were moving the football up and down the field all, all game long. And when you look and see a yards discrepancy of 420 to 53, yeah, you know who was the better team yesterday. It, it was not as competitive as the early fourth quarter score made it sound to be. And in the end, the the Bills would win and uh, lock up their second consecutive division title by a rather easy 27-10 margin. Now in the NFC, there was not not as much drama. Uh, You had a lot of battles for seeding going on with... You know, the Cowboys blowing out the Eagles on Saturday night. The Eagles showing that that game was little to no importance to them. The the fact that they put Gardner Minshew out there and sat most of their running backs. And then the the, uh, the Buccaneers, excuse me, um, 
had a very ho-hum victory over the Panthers. The only things that were up for grabs were the NFC West and the final NFC wildcard game. And they kind of played hand-in-hand uh, with each other when you had the the Niners going up against the Rams because a win got the Niners into the postseason. If they lost, they would have had to have hoped that the Saints lost to the Falcons. The Saints held up their end of the bargain, and the, the Niners and their fans were sweating it out for a little while there, especially when early on they're down 17-0. You know, Stafford and, and Cooper Cup are dicing up that secondary uh, left and right. You have Garoppolo throwing as awful an interception at midfield as you're ever going to see. I mean, the, the defender caught it on his knees. He had his he had enough time to stand up, call for a fair catch uh, with how high that um, pick went at at one point. And still, you know, the Niners showed a lot of grit, showed a lot of guts, and worked their way back into this game. A lot of it with Jimmy Garoppolo making, you know, decisive and clutch throws down the stretch to force overtime and eventually uh, come away with the victory. I, you know, I'm not going to make too much of Matthew Stafford's interceptions yesterday because of the fact that, you know, they pretty much knew in the overtime that they had the division locked up and they're looking up at the scoreboard and watching the Cardinals lose to the Seahawks at home and the Cardinals continuing to be their own worst enemy this time with it being a turnover on special teams. So, you know, the the Rams got what they wanted winning the NFC West. The Niners got what they wanted, winning uh, the uh, the final uh, NFC wildcard spot, thus eliminating uh, the New Orleans Saints. The, the one team in the NFC West that can't feel good about itself going or leaving yesterday is the Arizona Cardinals, who, remember, the, there was a point in this season where the Cardinals were 7-0. The Cardinals got off to this phenomenal start, looked like the best team in football, and now they're going limping into the postseason at 11-6, and six, losing um, six of their final 10 games. You know, Murray going in without his uh, number one weapon in uh, DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, the, they were... You know that they had the ball for long stretches in the fourth quarter yesterday. They they had as good a chance to win this uh, division with the Rams losing um, as you could ask for, and they continuously kept settling for field goals against a Seahawks team that once again nothing to play for, but pride and wanting to make a division rival, miserable. And you have the ball for 10 minutes, 22 seconds in the fourth quarter, a fourth quarter that you went into tied at 24, and you do nothing but settle for field goals. Now, they 
I don't want to see say dead man walking because now they have eight days to rest up before their next uh, game. But you can't feel good if you're a Cardinal fan. I, I don't care if somehow, some way, J.J. Watt comes walking out onto that field. I, he hasn't played in almost two months. It, it would be more of a you know, spiritual, motivational kind of thing at this point for him playing rather than and, you know, anything that he's going to actually add to the football team. I mean, the, the Cardinals, to me, of the 14 teams going into this postseason and 12 that are going to be playing next weekend, are the team that I feel the worst about going into wild card weekend. With you know, injuries that they have, especially losing Hopkins, and the fact that they've fin- the way they finished off the season, they had, what was it, two and a half, three game lead on the Rams this time a month ago, and completely choked that away. Now, these matchups coming up on wildcard weekend, you know, a lot of intrigue, a lot of interest with these. You start off with Saturday. You have arguably the best young quarterback in uh, these uh, playoffs, not counting Patrick Mahomes, in Joe Burrow, who's been having historic performance after historic performance in recent weeks going up against an Oakland Raiders team that let's face it I mean all of us let's raise our hands out there and in agreement that we all wrote this team off right they fired their head coach um after five weeks because of um a lot of off the field uh, issues and embarrassments they lose uh, their number one draft pick from two years ago um, because of a, a DUI, and now he's likely going to jail and never going to play again. They lose multiple players in their secondary because of DUIs, and still this team finds a way to roll off 10 victories this year and get into the postseason. Then in the nightcap, you have the game that God honest makes me 100% sick to my stomach that I have to sit there on Saturday night and watch this, that I have to put myself through this. And that is when the New England Patriots go to Buffalo to play the Bills. Here I thought going into yesterday, like, all right, they're both in the playoffs. Hopefully they'll face two separate teams. I'll have two things to root against on Wild Card Weekend. And instead, they are playing each other. So now I've got to pick between the happiness of rooting for the happiness of my good friend, Brian the Fishman Fishman, or rooting for my best friend's future wife, the great Jenna Walsh, who's a Patriot fan, but does not understand that there was a time before the Patriots won 
six Super Bowl championships with Tom Brady as their quarterback. There was a time where they were the equivalent of what the Jets are right now in the NFL. So either way, I'm going to be leaving Saturday night absolutely sick to my stomach and rooting for whoever they play in the divisional round to knock their ass out. Hopefully more positivity comes when it comes to Sunday. I mean, Sunday, no, I'm not an Eagles fan. You know, the city, the city of brotherly love, I can't say I'm, a, I'm exactly a favorite person of considering all of their teams at one given time. A team of mine is either eliminated from the postseason or has, you know, you know, done something that has just annoyed the living crap out of me. Like, I still to this day mock the Eagle fans for eating poo off the ground, horse poo off the ground, when they won the, their championship. And have mocked the Flyer fans that I know whenever the Devils go and uh, beat them up. But I will be rooting for the Eagles on Sunday, af Sunday afternoon because my cousin-in-law, Eric, is uh, an Eagles fan. And even though he's got that championship and the Eagles have done nothing but torment my New York Jets in the, the regular season over my lifetime, I root for Cousin Eric's happiness. I mean, he needs something to be happy about in, in his life. But I hate to inform you, Cousin Eric. Your postseason you know, journey is going to be very short-lived because I do not expect this to be any sort of competitive game at all when you go down to Tampa play the Buccaneers. You're playing one of the best run defenses in the league, and you're playing a defensive line that has arguably the three best run stoppers in the sport, especially uh, Vita Vea, who just got a big um, $73 million contract extension over the weekend. And you know he's itching to justify that new deal. But then you get you know, Cowboys versus Niners at, at 440, which I'm sure there'll be a lot of flashbacks, a lot of highlights to the 90s rivalry between the Niners and uh, the Cowboys. And Listen, this is this is a big moment for the Cowboys about proving to us that it's not the same old Dallas Cowboys that are going to leave you, that get your hopes up and then just disappoint you. They have to win this game, and they're they're not just going up against some pushover. They're not just going up against some team that's lucky to be in the playoffs. The Forty ers are a real team. The Forty ers I've I've said this before. Um, more so than any team in this postseason, they stick to what they're good at and um, are the truest to themselves of any of these playoff teams. They don't, you know, just divert when things are going bad. They realize that we're good at setting up creative run plays and letting our defense back us up from uh, there. So this is not going to just be some pushover for uh, the Cowboys, unlike what I think Chiefs-Steelers uh, in the nightcap could be. You know, as 
nice as it would be to see Ben continue on. The Chiefs you know, have been on fire for the last two months ever since their 3-4 and four start. And then you have our first ever Monday night football playoff game between the Rams and the Cardinals where, you know, the Cardinals, as I said, there's no team that I feel worse about than the Cardinals heading into this postseason. Between injuries and the way they've played uh, the last two months, not sure how you could have much confidence in uh, this team considering they had it right there in front of them to not just win their division, but potentially be the one seed in the NFC. And they let all of that choke away. Got to take another break here. Come back and now there was more drama off the field with Antonio Brown. And another sign why maybe we should get all of our facts together before we make any comments. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. I try not to be someone that is making statements of, what is it, hyperbole? No. I, I always try to live... Unless it's the New York Jets, try to live by a never-say-never philosophy. Because just when we think we can rule someone out, just when we think that someone's just going to disappear from uh, the sports landscape and we think that they're done, they all of a sudden pop up uh, somewhere else. Or, you know, make a comeback. Like, for five years, I've been saying that the the Yankees would be better off if they got rid of Brett Gardner. And every offseason, they continue to bring him back on some ridiculous, outrageous contract that he proves that he really does not deserve. And I'm sure we'll find out after his playing career that in some way he's an adopted child of Brian Cashman. But last week, I said, you know, I didn't want to completely rule out the fact or the idea of Antonio Brown making a comeback in the NFL because we've seen desperate teams do a lot of desperate things. And while maybe 
he wouldn't make a comeback this year, this season on a team because he's claiming that he's so injured and uh, needed some kind of surgery that somewhere along the line, we would see potentially A.B. suit up for another team. Well, he's quickly by the day showing that I might have to retract from that thought. I might have to pull back on the thought of him ever playing in the league again. Because the Buccaneers were his lifeline. He had worn out his welcome with the Steelers. Hell, he wore out his welcome with the Raiders before even playing a game. He wore out his uh, welcome due to off-the-field issues um, with the Patriots after one game. And even after having to serve an eight-game suspension, the Buccaneers brought him in last year. He was on his best behavior for the most part and helped them win a Super Bowl. And then this year, even after lying about his uh, vaccination status, getting a three-game suspension um, during a, a time when he was injured, Bruce Arians was desperate due to injuries on the roster and brought him back. And even after last week's shenanigans, Tom Brady remained supportive of Antonio Brown. But now Antonio Brown, at a time where, you know, as the days went on last week, he was starting to seem somewhat believable, somewhat, you know, maybe his supporters seemed somewhat right about having his back. Now, especially when Bruce Arians seemed to have three different stories about the situation, um, including the, the one he said after the game where he um, went up to him and asked, what are you doing? And he said he's not going in the game. And um, um, Bruce told him to get the F out of here. And then by Thursday, he's talking about how, oh, we had uh, the discussed uh, the injuries and, and it was only just now in the game that he was complaining about them. Bruce, uh, no, seemingly every day had a different story to it. Then came Antonio Brown going full nuclear. I mean, all last week, it seemed like every time you turned around, Antonio Brown was t- popping up at some you know sports or entertainment event. Now he was at the Nets versus uh, the the versus the Grizzlies last week if I my memory serves me correct. I know he was at at least one Nets game last week. I'm not sure if that was the game or if it was uh the game prior, but he was at the Nets game last Monday. And then he started to pop up on you know, people's social media accounts, pop up on podcasts, including a podcast uh, called uh, Full Send, the Full Send podcast, where there was one person left in the sports world that had any support for Antonio Brown, and that being Tom Brady. 
and Antonio Brown turns his back on him with some of the comments he made, sending, saying, quote, if Tom's my boy, why am I uh, playing for an earnest salary? You my boy, though, right? Gronk is his boy, right? How much did he get paid? So why is AB on a prove-it deal? Who's better than me over there? Let's be real, end quote. You're playing on a prove-it deal because you wore out your welcome in three previous locations, including one of the best-run organizations in the sport in the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New England Patriots, who have been the model of consistency for the last 20 years, have the greatest coach in the history of the sport and had that same quarterback as um, your teammate and he begged for you to be brought in and you wore out your welcome after one game. You've proven that you can't be trusted. Hell, with the Raiders, all you had to do was play nice until the first Tuesday of the league year and you would get your full salary and you couldn't even do that. That's why you were on prove-it deals each of the last two years with the Buccaneers. Bruce Arians said to begin with that you were on a one-strike-and-you're-out call and the only reason he changed course on that is because they had injuries to Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, and you had Mike Evans not playing at, at full strength. And you're going to complain about uh, being on a prove-it deal when Tom was going out of his way the previous week to try and make sure you reached those contract escalators. No, you, he was... He targeted you 15 times against the Panthers. He, you had a, one half and one full game left to get eight catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. And you couldn't act on your best behavior. I mean, you were, you were able to suit up and play the first half against the Jets. But then you turned into a spoiled little baby because you weren't getting the targets you wanted. You know, he would go on to rip Tom in that same interview, um, talk about praise that the media has for Brady, saying, quote, Brady can't do bleep by himself, but you guys are going to make it seem like he's just this heroic guy. Bro, we all humans. Bro, we're all dependent on somebody else to do the job. Does Tom throw me the ball like Ben Roethlisberger? Let's be honest. A lot of respect for Ben Roethlisberger's career, first ballot Hall of Famer, but let's not compare him to the GOAT, Tom Brady, who's over his career turned chicken shit into chicken salad when it comes to uh, some of the wide receivers that he's had to work with outside of um, Randy Moss. All right. You're, I mean, Antonio Brown, like he's just becoming such a pain in the ass. And I get, I get these people that are out there that have podcasts that are having them on because they want to have listeners help. Maybe I would even consider of ha having him on 
if it meant if I knew that more people were going to listen to him. But he's just he's becoming less and less likable as the days go on and just becoming so much of an annoyance that even if he does get healthy, why would you ever even think about trusting bringing this guy on your team? Because you know at some point there's going to be some kind of blow up. Now, there's a lot of times that we have to watch the things we say. We can't make definitive statements or definitive comments without getting the full facts, without making sure we have done all of our research or got all of our sources locked down before we make certain comments. That's why I'm very surprised by the comments made by ex-NFL quarterback Boomer Esiason, who you can hear uh, weekdays on WFN radio in New York City, co-hosts uh, a sports radio show with uh, uh, Greg Giannotti called uh, uh, Boomer and Geo. He made some comments late last week saying that Aaron Rodgers was, if the Packers didn't were to make it to the Super Bowl, was going to boycott the Super Bowl over the COVID protocols uh, that are in place, saying, quote, that he got a text message uh, per, um, from someone in Aaron Rodgers' direct circle where he would threaten to boycott the Super Bowl over the NFL's testing of asymptomatic and unvaccinated players. Quote, the Rodgers saga continues to get crazier and, and crazier. I've been told by multiple people in Aaron's direct circle that if the Packers make the Super Bowl, he will use the week leading up to the Super Bowl to prove a major point. He will threaten the NFL by saying he won't play in the big game or next season if they don't eliminate some of the COVID-related rules. One big one that upsets him the most is testing of non-symptomatic players. He's told Jordan Love to be ready. Like you said, he's got to make it first, but Super Bowl week will um, be set on fire and send Roger Goodell into a frenzy navigating the situation, end quote. Well, that would turn out to be a waste of Boomer and Geo's time because they would later find out that day that it was a hoax, that that text was not sent to him by someone in Aaron Rodgers' inner circle, rather someone that was just claiming to have knowledge on things. And I'm surprised that... No, Boomer would fall for that. You know, it's one thing if someone like me or someone else running a podcast through social media claimed to get that kind of information and ran with it here just to try and make themselves look relevant, just to try and make themselves look, you know, somewhat important. But for someone that has had not just a long, successful NFL playing career, but it's a now well over 20-year career in the media 
in Boomer Esiason to fall for that. That was a bit surprising and just once again a sounder, an alarm for all people that are inspiring, whether it's in radio or podcasting. Make sure you have all of your sources locked down, that you've double, triple checked things when you get what you think is a piece of breaking news or hot news handed to you because you kind of look come out looking like a bonehead if you are proven wrong in the end. All right, going to take another break here. Come back on the other side, finish uh, things up with some thoughts on Black Monday, a quick thought on MLB, and a couple of returns in the NBA. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. You know, now that we've entered 2022, any time Major League Baseball would like to join the rest of us in this year, they're more than welcome to do so. I mean, somewhat, I'm glad that baseball's in this lockout because I do think that there are things that the players need to fight back on when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement. And while they're not going to get everything they want done in the in this next CBA, I do hope that they don't come out as looking as weak and as much beaten down as they did after the last CBA. But, you know, it's actually good that we haven't heard much from them because they embarrassed themselves heading into the 2020 um, one season or 2020 season when they were, we were in the early stages of this pandemic and they were trying to figure out how to get the season starting. It was a hissing fight with uh, press releases every day. And I figured, you know, so far, so good. Baseball's handling things the right way. But then last week comes about, and MLB did something that I thought was rather embarrassing, rather, you know, making themselves look pretty small. When, um, if 
many of you don't know, Major League Baseball, just like all of these uh, um, sports leagues, owns their own network, the MLB network, which has been a favorite of mine since it started in uh, 2009. And since then, they've had a lot of uh, uh, insiders on there that you see commonly across different platforms on um, whether it's on Fox, whether it's TBS, um, you know, the likes of SI's Tom Ferducci, uh, John Heyman, uh, another one being Ken Rosenthal of both Fox and The Athletic. Well, last week, MLB uh, Network decided to fire Ken Rosenthal. And they'll, they, the way they put it is they decided not to renew his contract. But l- let's face it, they fired him. And by in large part, it's reportedly due to the fact that he many times in the last year has had some harsh criticism of MLB uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred in some of his articles in uh, The Athletic, in particular uh, during uh, the negotiations to get the 2020 season started, so much so that there was a time where MLB more or less gave Rosenthal a paid suspension in 2020 by keeping him off the network for three months when he wrote columns analyzing Manfred's handling of negotiations um, over over, uh, the uh, season being threatened and ultimately shrunk by the 2019 pandemic. This is just an excerpt of what he wrote in an article entitled, Manfred must strike a deal with the players or ruin his legacy that he published on June 16th, 2020. Manfred and the, quote, Manfred and the owners, supposed stew of the game, are turning the nation, the national pastime into a national punchline, effectively threatening to take their ball and go home while the country struggles with medical, economical, uh, and societal concerns. Baseball is a business, we all know that, but it is a business that former Commissioner Bud Selig describes as social institution with social responsibilities, a business that holds an, an antitrust exception and distinguishes it, uh, distinguishing it from every other professional sports league, such as a business should hold itself to a higher standard But in these talks, if you even call them that, Manfred and the owners keep sinking lower and lower. Unless making uh, dead-on arrival proposals, uh, tone-deaf public remarks, and other assorted blunders is your idea of negotiating savvy, end quote. And let's face it, while I was dead honest at the time, the players didn't handle things well either. You know, you kept having players saying, oh, I don't want to take a pay cut, even though you weren't getting uh, a pay cut. You weren't getting paid because there weren't games being played. The owners kept making themselves look smaller and smaller, essentially trying to c- cry poverty, um, saying we can't afford to play this many games without fans in the stands. 
Meanwhile, they're striking new playoff TV deals with TBS and their other partners all over the place, continuing to look like hypocrites. For them to take out you know, a top reporter just for speaking his mind, speaking his opinion, really makes them look small. And you know, while Ken could have came out, bashed them, uh, ripped them uh, to the nth degree, He's handled this a very classy way uh, with his tweet um, after this was announced saying, quote, can confirm MLB Network has decided not to bring me back. I'm grateful for the more than 12 years I spent there and my enduring friendships with on-air personalities, producers, and staff. I've always strove to maintain my journalistic integrity and my work reflects that. So, you know, I look forward to seeing him still on Fox, reading what he has to say in The Athletic. But an awful job by MLB Network uh, letting this guy go. He was truly one of your best insiders. And Rob Manfred really looks petty and small by doing this. Now, today was Black Monday in the NFL, and you had four head coach casualties, three of whom... I kind of saw it coming. You know, the Broncos firing Vic Fangio, who I guess, you no, know, he was not hired by this general manager re- regime uh, and wanted to start anew. Then the both within minutes this morning, the Bears and the Vikings fired their head coach and um, general managers with the Bears uh, firing Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace followed by the Vikings firing head coach Mike Zimmer and uh, Rick Spielman. And, you know, in the case of the Bears, you know, you had two chances to develop a franchise quarterback in Mitch Trubisky and then um, uh, this year when you were to uh, uh, trade up uh, in the draft and draft Justin Fields. And you kept playing Andy Dalton when Justin Fields was healthy and ready to go. And, I mean, you were tying... You really thought you were a playoff contending team this year? The best course of action was developing this kid and um, getting uh, that rookie jitters out of the way so that next year when you were hopeful of having a better chance at being a playoff team that he could hit the ground running. But you kept stop, go, stop going with this kid because for some reason you had an attachment to Andy Dalton. And then the case of the Vikings, listen, Mike Zimmer, I thought did a good job when it came to the coaching the Vikings in his eight years there. But I thought they had kind of hit the wall based on how far he could take them. I, I I think they had reached the level he could get to, and now that they you know missed the postseason this year, it was the perfect time to make the change and um, maybe change offensive philosophies uh, there. The one that caught me by surprise is the firing of Brian Flores. I mean, Miami, what the hell are you doing? 
This is a guy that steadily each year got this team progressively better. Now, I know they got off to an awful start in this season, but they won then seven games in a row, got themselves back into uh, playoff contention following a seven-game losing streak. You know, each year, he each of the last two years, he had winning seasons. Hell, even bouquets were being thrown his way by them going 5-11 and 11 in his first year when that would look like a year that they were totally tanking it. He was able to get them to win five of their final nine games. In total, he went 24-25 and 25 in three seasons. And, and I know he didn't make the playoffs, but I just... I don't get it. You know, I thought next year would have been the year that he was on the hot seat rather than this year where, you know, you had Tua Tungvall in and out of the lineup early in the season. You've had, you had your owner, you know, dancing around with potentially trading for Deshaun Watson earlier this year. And you know that they may be big quarterback hunting uh, going into this offseason with some of the big names that could be out there. I just, I felt this was totally unfair toward Brian Flores. If you had given them next year and they had traded for, you know, Deshaun Watson or uh, Russell Wilson and then they failed to make the postseason, then be like, all right, now you can make the change. But he had that team heading in the right direction. Uh, and I thought this was an unfair, unjust firing by the Dolphins. But hey, maybe someone else will reap the benefits of this. Now, you have uh, in the, the NBA, you, you had you know, a couple things that caught my eye in this last week before we close things out for uh, this week. One, Julius Randle. What the hell are you doing? You know, getting into a war with New York Knicks fans. He's He pulled the, the same crap that Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez did with the Mets fans back in September. And I've long believed a lot of that is what led to the Mets not even trying to re-sign Baez in uh, free agency and letting him walk straight to the Detroit Tigers. But last Thursday night, as the Knicks are on the way to making this great comeback against the Celtics, after being down by 25 points early, you have uh, um, Evan Fournier... Um, having one of the best games of his career, and that's seemingly the only team that he does have great games against is the Boston Celtics. I mean, he's putting up a career-high 41 points for you. And Julius Randle, who's had a down year by the standards he set last year, he decides to getting a in a hissing war with the the fans just because they had been getting on his case um, early in the game and in previous home games that after a layup, he decides to give them a thumbs down and tell the fans to shut the F up. 
I, I never understand why players in any sport decide to do this with fans because, no, yes, there are those fans that decide to act like asses. There are those uh, fans that, you know, will give the crowd a bad reputation. But by a large part, I do think fans go to games with the right intentions in mind. Root for their team to win. Um and boo when their team is failing to uh, live up to expectations, but never you know make things personal. You have those occasional um, jerks that curse off uh, players and make things personal, but by and large part, most fans are doing the right thing. But you know Julius Randle, I mean, he must think that he's LeBron James or Kevin Durant or you know some perennial all-star because you know he has one great year best year of his his career and he suddenly thinks that makes him above criticism that he's beyond getting criticized and i i just don't get it why are you going to get into that kind of war with the fans especially when you're making this great comeback you have it end with this incredible buzzer beater moment by RJ Barrett, who's you know been in and out of the lineup due to uh, some health concerns and, and due to COVID, ha- has not had the kind of season that you would expect from RJ. And you're having a down year compared to last year, and you're going to decide to. Uh, try to turn the fan completely turn the fans against you. I mean, last year he had best year of his career, 20 over 24 points a game, shot uh, 46% from the field, 41% from 3. This year he's down 5 points a game. Uh he's his shooting percentage is down 4% and his three-point uh shooting percentage has come back to down to earth um which you kind of expected. He was a 33% uh a three-point shooter over his career leading into last year. And what would he do? He would follow that act up, even though he tried to make nice-nice with it after the game. He would follow that up with a dud performance on Saturday night against the Celtics when they were uh, without Fournier because he was battling a a thigh contusion, without Kemba Walker, and not getting much scoring elsewhere, he goes one for eight from behind the arc, and they would get smoked in Boston by that very same Celtic team. No, got me interesting tonight. No, the little I watch of this game, because most of my attention is going to be on the national championship game, got me interested to see how the Garden crowd reacts to them tonight after that. Uh, one New York team that will not get to see one of its stars anytime soon unless he has a change in um, personal philosophy is Kyrie Irving. Now, Kyrie made his season debut uh, last week against My Better Wishes, and no, he did look like Kyrie Irving in the 32 minutes that he played. Gave the team a little bit of life. I was I was actually kind of surprised that they started him, considering it was his first game action of the year. I thought maybe they'd bring him off the bench and have him be a, a burst of energy that way. 
But, you know, you saw that this is a different Nets team with him out there. And this is a team that with him, Harden, and Durant on the court together, they are, you know, seemingly unstoppable together. Now, the, the problem is going to become, you know, it, something I've always been concerned about, and that's continuity with this team having a guy that's only available for you in road games or games outside of um, New York City. His next one being tonight in Portland against the Trailblazers. But, you know, the Nets the Nets have been on a little bit of a, a rocky play as of late. They've, they've gone two and four of their last six. And to start uh, 2022, they have not played great defense. I mean, they're getting off to slow starts in games. And now... They're giving up about 120 points a game, including yesterday where they needed to force overtime to beat the San Antonio Spurs, a Spurs team that probably doesn't have a player that would even start on the Brooklyn Nets right now, maybe not even make the rotation, but they you know, fooled around too much and allowed the Spurs to remain in this game. And force overtime there. And, you know, hopefully either Kyrie has some some kind of, you know, change of opinion or, you know, that there, are some, there proves to be some kind of validity to this plant-based vaccine that he would actually be interested in possibly taking because... No, I can't see the Nets winning a championship if you're going to have one of your three best players just be there 50% of the time. At some point, I even if it works during the regular season, I worry that it's going to come back to burn them in, in the postseason no matter what seed that they end up being. And let's close this out with a positive thing from uh, last night, and that was finally the return of Clay Thompson, who for the first time in 941 days, first time since June 13th, 2019, Clay Thompson suited up and played for the Golden State Warriors. And it's been a long time coming for this guy. Remember, he tore his ACL in game six of the NBA Finals against uh, the Raptors. Missed all of the 2019-2020 season because the Warriors were just god-awful with the injuries to Steph Curry. And then when the season got shut down due to the pandemic, they were so bad that they, it, they weren't even worth inviting to the bubble. Last year, about you know, a week, week and a half before the uh, season was set to start. He popped his Achilles and was out for all of last year. And now finally, Clay makes his way back and you now played rather well last night. Pl- only played 19 minutes, but you now looked like Clay Thompson for the most part with um, his range behind the arc. You now playing the stellar defense that we're used to seeing him play. And you now, if he is even. No, seventy five percent of the Clay Thompson we remember him being because it's you know it was a different world back then. Think of how much has changed in the two and a half years since he played a basketball game. 
If he's even 75% of that Clay Thompson, the Warriors are extremely dangerous. I mean, they had the best record in the NBA without him. And now they're getting him back. They're adding him to that lineup with Curry, with Green, who hopefully uh, will get over this calf injury soon. They haven't even gotten uh, uh, James Wiseman back yet. But you know, now you're adding what someone who's any when healthy anywhere between uh, ten and twenty somewhere in the range of the top 15 to 20 players in this sport back to your lineup. That is a very, very scary proposition for the rest of the NBA to now have to deal with a healthy Clay Thompson and a healthy Golden State Warriors team. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports from M3 for Monday, January 10th. 2022. Everyone have a great night. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy in whatever you're doing this week. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next Monday. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Not leave.